Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. Hello, I'm Jonathan Bone-Perks and welcome to my favourite time of the week. And as part of the Inspiring Leadership series, I am delighted to have Anita Lou Harvey. Anita is the Director of Global Payment Strategy at Spotify and was recommended by a number of people to be on this series. So Anita, welcome. It's great to have you here. Thanks, Jonathan. So I thought the first thing we'd, uh, we'd go into is, is tell us a bit about your um, current role in Spotify and, and your career journey into leadership because we had a good chat about it and I find this fascinating so please do tell us. Sure so um, I joined Spotify just over a year ago now and um, I look after the payment strategy team and we've got a broad remit so we cover payments globally for subscribers, for artists, for advertisers and it's, it's also a really diverse role so Spotify's in hyper growth still so Every day there's a new idea or a new feature that we need to evaluate. Um, so we're, we're, we're working with teams across different products and, and different time zones on a, on a daily basis. But um, you know, if, you, if I think back to when my career um, journey as a, as a leader started, it was pretty early on in my career actually. I think PayPal, I, I joined PayPal UK, um, I think it was my second or, or maybe third job out of university. So still in my um, mid-twenties and um, I was employee between employee number 10 and 15 in the UK and back then PayPal was still very much part of um, eBay so we had a handful of desks in the corner of the um, Richmond office and back then um, eBay and PayPal had a habit of hiring um, young pretty inexperienced people like myself who, who are new fresh out of university and, and saying to them hey guys um, you know come have a go at growing our, our UK business from scratch and um, you know here you go off you go and um, I learned an amazing amount um, as a leader and, and as a person during my time there I think the thing that I learned the most is um, it's incredible what humans can achieve if you provide a safe um, and trusting environment for them to, to work in if you um, you know if you empower them to, to do their job and you don't place any limit on, on what they can actually do. Um, so personally for me, during my three years there um, as head of business marketing for um, PayPal UK, I figured out how to do marketing for the first time. Um, and I also launched our first brand campaigns in the UK and established PayPal as a brand in its own right um, outside of eBay. Um, I hired a team and I, I, I figured out how to manage a team for the first time. And not only that, I built the, probably one of the highest performing teams I've ever worked with. So it was a really incredible you know, highlight of, of my leadership journey. Um, and, and that lasted for about three years. And after that, I think it'd be fair to say that my leadership journey stalled for, for twice as long as that. Um, so my next two roles after leaving PayPal didn't work out for, for different reasons. And then not long, not long after I'd um, accepted the role um, in the payments business at Barclays, um, I started my family. And then I started a, um, a period of being in and out um, on, on maternity leave. And 
I think like many, um, many mothers returning from, from having had a child, um, I lost quite a bit of confidence in, in what I could do. Um, you know, after a number of years, I remember looking back at my time at PayPal and it almost be like I was looking at a completely different person. Um, I didn't recognize myself in that way anymore. And if I'm to be honest, I'd pretty much written myself off. Um, and then something changed. So um, Barclays acquired um, a company, a, a technology company, and um, several of the leaders from the payments business moved over to um, join that company. And one of them approached me about taking a role within that company. And when he called me up, um, I remember I, I came up with a whole bunch of reasons as to why it, it, it might be a bit difficult for, for me to do this role. And, and there were things like, well, I only work four days a week. I'm going to have to leave at five every day to pick the, the children up. And I remember he, he let me finish and then there was a pause. And, and, he, and I remember him saying something like, well, I'm, I'm struggling to understand how any of this is an issue. Um, and I remember being really surprised by his reaction, but um, because it was such a non-issue for him, that actually gave me the confidence to take the plunge and, and to take this new role. And that really was a turning point because it was a smaller um, part of the organisation. The leadership um, you know, shared pretty much some of the same values that we'd had back in the um, early sort of PayPal days. And I, I really started to thrive again and, and to find my old self. And... Um, I, I benefited from having not just one leader, but a set of leaders uh, within this company who really believed in me. They progressively grew my remit and, and sponsored me and, and rose my, you know, they trained me and they um, helped to raise my profile across Barclays. Um, and it, I think it was only two years later that I was promoted to director um, within Barclays. And if I'm being absolutely honest, that would not have happened. And I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't be sitting here today if I hadn't, um, receive that boost and, and I hadn't had um, those incredible leaders believing in me at that point in, in my life. Who is the particular one that the leader that made the biggest difference? Uh, would you just name them just to recognize them? Yes, sure. So I think Ed Black was my, was the, was the manager who hired me and, you know, he, he was probably the greatest coach I had because he, he was great at listening and then just offering me a little bit of advice here and there, which I, I'd go away and think about and then, you know, I think I became a much rounded leader because of some of the um, nuggets of um, feedback he gave me over time. Um, and then I'd say Nicole Olby, um, who was, um, you know, she was such an inspirational leader and she really um, championed me across Barclays. And um, last but not least, Mark Pettikin, who's he's president of Barclays Payments now, but he was leading um, this business at the time and you know, he really championed me and sponsored me and um, put me in front of um, much more senior people across Barclays, which um, helped to really raise my profile at the time. Fantastic. Well, what lovely people to have as mentors and coaches to you. I'm sure they gave you great advice. And looking back now, what piece of advice do you wish you'd had when you first started out after university and you thought, only I'd known that now, it would have really helped me. What would the bit of advice that you'd share with others be the best bit of advice? I'd say probably that you don't have to be good at everything to be a great leader. So I, I for, for quite some time, I felt that I, you know, to be able to lead a team effectively, I had to be able to do everything well. Um, and it took me, you know, I think it was actually Ed who, who taught me um, this, that actually what you need to do is understand what your strengths are 
and then surround yourself um, with a team whose strengths lie in, in other areas. And it's, it's by doing that, that that you're building that high performing um, and effective team where everybody has something very valuable to contribute. I think that's such good wisdom. And, and I've had some wisdom, which is uh, along those lines, which is surround yourself with an army of giants, men and women who are metaphorically two inches taller than you in their specialist areas, which aren't areas that you're so good at. And you'll never work a day in your life because you're enjoying what you're doing and, and they're all doing what they love doing. So I think that's great advice. You don't have to be good at everything uh, to be a great leader. Um, we talked about the sort of undulations of life and that there is no linear life, no linear career journey, um, highs and lows and setbacks and disappointments. And as you described moments in my career and you described in yours when you stalled and you weren't making progress or you doubted yourself and that imposter syndrome that we all suffer from, but few admit to. Um, I don't think Donald Trump has imposter syndrome at all, but um, most normal people uh, do. Um, what's your, in the undulations of your life, what's the proudest moments you've had and the darkest moments you've had in your career journey, in your life journey, and picking one of each, what did they teach you uh, in becoming the fine leader you are today that people recommended to come onto this series? Um, yeah, it's a great question. I think the proudest moment for me was actually probably the proudest moment for my father. So um, I was, um, I, I, the Financial Times used to do a list of um, the top ethnic minority leaders. And I think it was 2017, I, I, I featured in the top 10 um, future ethnic minority leaders. And I remember being so shocked that I, I'd been, I'd made this list and also um, a little bit, um, I felt a little bit, I guess, embarrassed and um, about it. And, um, but I think I did it and I felt proud because my father was incredibly proud because it, for him, having come from the background, he was from a very poor background in China. He never had a school education. He'd worked so hard in his life to try and change you know, the course of my life and, and my sister's life so that we could have opportunities he didn't have. So I think the proudest moment for me was for him to be able to show his friends that his daughter was featured in, in this, you know, list in the Financial Times. I just think congratulations on that. And also ne never forget the power of parents. I, I've had a number of leaders who've realised that and they do things like that have award ceremonies for their members of staff but they'd invite the parents or anybody they'd like to have to come along and they'd give it to them and they'd put it on their mantelpiece. And so when they came to say, I'm thinking of leaving, the parents can't leave there. I've told all our friends how good you are and we've got this award on the mantelpiece. And so it was almost a sort of, it was a, a glue to stay with this family that cared about them and cared about the parents of the, these young people, which particularly was a young people group they had in their call center. I just thought that was wonderful. Um, let's talk about habits. Oh, you were going to talk about a dark moment yeah. and, and what it taught you. So I think, you know, the darkest moment for me was a personal moment when I think, you know, it, two members of my immediate family have been diagnosed with very serious illnesses in, in the past. And I think it's probably the darkest moment for me is that immediate moment after you, you find out about the diagnosis and you don't have all the information and you just don't know what's going to happen. And you just get this sense that life's about to change um, forever. And 
what I remember about both those times is that um, after the initial sort of shock, um, I found this incredible sense of calm and strength. And I, I just focused on what I could control. So I would gather all the information. I'd be strong for everybody else. I'd come up with a plan. And I think the key takeaway from me and that is when, you know, there's times of huge crisis or, or change is to try and steer people to focus on the things that they can control and to get their strength um, fr from there. I, I, it's so true. And that's it's very much some of the stoical philosophy and some of the teaching of Lao Tzu and, and uh, his wisdom uh, from, from China two and a half thousand years ago. There's control the controllables. And the thing you can control is your thoughts and your actions. You can't control what others do or what events are going on in the world. It's useful to know the events in the world and all the dramas that are happening. But I make a point of reading Stoic philosophy first thing in the day, not watching the, the news or getting depressed by events I, I have no control over. Um, it doesn't mean you don't have empathy for people who are you know, suffering from raging fires in California, but, but to get so stressed about something you can do nothing about, it, it's very damaging for your mental health. But, but equally, if you feel so strong about it, send some money, do some help, do something to help people. But I think that's good advice you brought there. Um, habits that have made you successful. Most of the leaders we have, have have got a series of habits they have or bits of wisdom they've received from parents or, or teachers or people they work with. And we talk about healthy, wealthy and wise. What would be your, your tips to share with others about health, wealth and wisdom? So I think for health, for me, it's about balance. So um, I, I remember a friend of mine telling me in the past about her wheel of happiness. And I was quite curious about this. And she told me, you know, she, she's got, you know, she, she puts love, family, um, work, um, health, you know, in this wheel of happiness. And when one thing's not going right, she, she leans more on, on the others. And that really resonated with me. So even during um, COVID when I was homeschooling my two kids and working full time and trying to look after the team, I made sure I was going out running every morning and, and I use Headspace, the app, um, and just getting 10 minutes a day um, first thing in the morning, I think totally sort of grounds me and, and, and um, calms me for, for the rest of the day. I'm a great believer in, uh, I have both Calm, which is another app, and Headspace. And twice a day I do mindfulness uh, and it just so grounds me. The other one is the, the breathing. There's a, there's a whole wisdom of ancient wisdom about breathing, uh, but particularly the tip that someone gave me in one of the books, actually called breath by James Nestor is the four, seven, eight technique where you breathe in for four, you hold for seven and you breathe out for eight, but it, most of it's nasal breathing. But on this occasion you breathe out through the mouth for eight, doing that a cycle of four, no more, really just completely grounds me before any call I have, did it before this session today, uh, and before any meetings I have, and I commend it to you and to others who are listening, four, seven, eight is a, a great tip, but yeah, so that's a good bit of uh, healthy, what about wealthy? Yes, we've talked about this earlier, so for me, wealth is, is relative, and I was explaining to you, you know, my family from a very poor rural background in China. Um, I think just having enough food to, to, to survive was top priority. And so you know, going into, I, I've always had that backdrop and 
even when I'm indulging in a nice cocktail these days, I can still hear my mother's voice in the background saying, you know, you've got to, you've got to look after your money. Don't, don't spend unnecessarily. And, um, I still, we will still go to spend Christmas every Christmas with my family. And, um, we still do not know until at four o'clock on Christmas Eve, what we're going to be having for Christmas dinner the next day, because my mother will wait until half an hour before the supermarkets are closing for the Christmas period. And then she'll go in and she'll buy everything at, at the lowest price possible. So oh. I've had all sorts of um, unusual shaped turkeys in the past. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Well, I, I, love, I love the story. And what about wisdom? Wisdom. So I think so many um, things come to mind, but I think regret nothing, learn from everything. Um, it, it's something that somebody said to me in the past and I definitely think that's true. I've learned much more and much faster from the things that haven't worked for me in the past than, than the things that did. And it's something that I think Spotify as a culture really embraces. So um, you hear about a lot of companies that talk about um, fail, you know, we, we, we take risks and, and we fail fast and learn quickly. But actually Spotify is the first company I've worked at, which really embraces that um, culture. And um, what really sort of makes it work is that um, they create a safe and empowering environment for, for us to take risks. But then the leadership from Daniel down, they own the decisions with their teams. And I've lost count of the number of times that um, a senior leader has got up on stage and, and stood up and said, you know what, we, we tried this last year and guess what? It didn't work. But this is what we've learned from it. And this is what we're going to do differently now. It, it's just absolutely embedded within the culture. Uh, I so love that. And I think it's um, one of the professors I met at the University of Michigan talked about teachable moments. And uh, when I was in IBM, uh, that there's the historic story about John Watson, the CEO, when he took over in the 50s, a long time ago. And um, one of the senior vice presidents who worked for him came in day two and said, uh, there's this enormous problem. He said, and, and how long have you had it? He said, oh, about six months. He said, well, why didn't you tell the previous CEO? I said, well, it was a culture of failure is not an option. Good news culture. You had to just have good news. And so I didn't feel it safe to tell him. So I tried to sort it out, but it's got worse. And said, how much is the, is the loss? And he said, it's $600,000. So he said, I suppose you're going to fire me. And John said, fire you? Why would I fire you? I've just invested $600,000 in your development. I'd like you to go away. Think about what you've learned, what action you take, learning an action. It's a teachable moment and come back with your team and brief me what you're going to do. He did the next day. They resolved it. They made $5 million from the lessons they'd learned from it. And he became the CEO in turn. And I, I've never forgotten that. The teachable moments, what have you learned? What are you going to do? And I either succeed or I learn. But even when you succeed, you learn something. Don't you think that's great? great wisdom that fits with what you've just said, Anita. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, so love that. Then let's go on to uh, what makes a good inspiring leader and a good inspiring team in your experience? So I think for me, it's about, you know, an inspiring leader is, is, an, is a leader who can articulate the why. Um, time and time again, I've seen um, leaders explain what we're going to do we're going to launch you know this product we're going to we've got to hit this revenue target we've got to reduce costs by x percent but they stop short of explaining why and and then you see the disconnect between the teams and 
they're struggling to understand you know, where they fit into the bigger picture and where I, again, I think this is where Spotify do it really well. Um, Daniel and team, they spend so much time and invest so much time in explaining why, where, you know, what our direction of travel is, what our North Star is. And they do it in such a way that the teams can understand how, um, you know, how our goals um, are contributing to that bigger common goal. And uh, even down to an individual basis, we can all um, relate to how we're all helping um, to, to move towards that North Star. And I think it's incredibly um, inspirational when, when that happens. Completely agree. I think and one of the things in our psychometric, the Inspiring Leadership Compass, has PQ, purpose quotient, meaning and purpose. What gives your life meaning? Why are we doing what we're doing? What's the legacy going to be as another element? And your values, why you do what you do, why you won't do certain things. But I, I love Simon Sinek's work on, on why. And, and even Viktor Frankl in Man's Search for Meaning, that very thin book, which is probably worth adding to your, your list, the ones you give out to your team. Um, he, he talked about uh, Goethe's philosophy, that he who has a burning why can cope with any what or how. But, but people, the other quote was a lovely one from somewhere else. People who know what and how will always work for the people who know why. Yeah, I think I, I'd say that's very true. Yeah, I, I love that the choice of, of, of that one. Uh, and what about teams? What, what do you find makes an inspiring team? Um, I think a diverse team. So where everybody brings something different to the table. Um, and so I think definitely diversity, but also trust. So I, I think without trust, you don't have a, you don't have a, um, a, a team that's performing well. So, you know, for me that every time I, I'm, I'm working on a new project or, or I'm pulling a new team together, I, I'll spend an awful lot of time up front building that trust and, and investing in that trust and making sure that that's always there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, that comes up time and again. There's a whole lot of research been done recently on psychological safety and how can you create psychological safety in a team uh, and then the trust that follows from that. And again, a book which was a favourite of mine, The Speed of Trust, by Stephen Covey Jr. But the, the one thing I took from the whole book, and there's lots in it, but, but is the simple equation, trust equals speed, uh, yeah, equals speed times cost. So where trust is low, everything takes an awfully long time and it's very expensive, even gets to legal fees and things because people don't trust each other. Uh, and meetings after meetings and meetings before meetings for the meetings and notes and all the rest. But where trust is high in the leaders that I, coach and work with they just talk to someone else to say can you do that yeah leave it with me uh and the cost is nothing because it's just such a psychologically safe environment with high trust does that resonate for you and your experiences yes absolutely and i think also i think what you're saying about trust takes time but it you know it pays off in the end often you'll see um people you know when new teams are formed um sometimes leaders will they'll just rush off and start making a bunch of decisions and moving in the you know in the, in the direction of travel but because they haven't invested in building that trust and, and taking people on that journey with them you'll find that it, it will fail further down the line so i'm a big believer in put the foundations in place and without the foundation of trust you're not going to succeed no. in the long term I, I think it's it's so key and then talking about leaders who, who build trust and things 
Um, if you were to pick a couple of leaders that you found to be inspiring leaders that you'd like on this series and that you'd be recommending were to attend, who would you pick and, and what qualities do you, have you admired about them? Yeah, so I think I, I mentioned him previously, but Mark Pettikin, I would definitely um, pick. He, he um, He's president of Barclays, of payments at Barclays now, but um, yeah, I think his qualities are that he's a real people leader. Um, I used to remember he used to walk the floors every morning um, and, and just, you know, perch on the end of people's desks. He knew everybody by name. He knew what they did. He would take the time just to find out on, you know, what people were working on that day and um, genuinely just um, help them to see, you know, he was a why leader. It helped to see what they were doing and why it was important to, um, to the, the business. And what I notice about Mark is um, he moves around the organization as he sort of takes new roles and, and the people who worked with him previously tend to move with him. Uh, and that for me is, is a true sort of, um, you know, um, you know, proof that he's, he's a really sort of inspirational leader. Yeah. Oh, that, that's, that's great. And, and, and that so fits with many of the finest military leaders that I've worked for exactly his behaviors. And who was this, the second uh, inspiring leader and, and why would you choose them? Yeah, so I think I'd probably pick um, Paulette Rowe. So she was in charge of Barclays um, payments acceptance business for, for many years. And, and then she, she then left and went to, pay, um, to Facebook and, and now she's at Paysafe. But I remember Paulette, is, she's a very human leader. So she had a great sense of humour, but I think most of all, um, she wasn't afraid to show her vulnerable side. And during her time at Barclays, she went through um, some, you know, quite um, difficult sort of personal circumstances and, and took a bit of time out of the business at one stage. And I remember when she came back, she was very open about um, what she'd experienced. And she was very um, open about the fact it's okay to not be okay um, and, and to ask for help. And you know, looking back, I think what I learned from her is that, you know, she demonstrated how it's, it's much easier um, and um, for people to connect with leaders who show their human side and, and to relate to them in, um, because, you know, they are also human beings. Yeah, yeah. Um, Roger Steer, one of the professors at CAS with me, talks about the three hums, humanity, humility and humour as being the key. For leaders and you just described that beautifully. Um, here we are in the middle of wave two of COVID-19 uh, in many countries. Uh, what's been the impact uh, of COVID on you personally uh, and your life and, and your work at Spotify? Yeah sure so well I think my, my experience hasn't been you know it's been very similar to a lot of um, working families trying to um, homeschool two, two boys at home whilst working full-time, both parents working full-time. So I've become very skilled at running a workshop while simultaneously, um, you know, running a math lesson on, on my right-hand side and an English lesson on, on um, the, the other side. So, um, so that's been a little bit chaotic, um, but we've, you know, we've muddled through. Um, I think I've also, for me, it's been a very positive experience from a personal perspective, actually, because... I've actually spent more time with my children than I have since um, they, you know, I was on maternity leave and it's been just great to get to know them again and not have to rush around taking them to football practice or, or to school. So I've really been grateful for that time we've had together. I think from a Spotify perspective um, as a team, 
interestingly, I think by the end of this year, half of the payments team will have joined during COVID. And, and that's presented some interesting challenges because we were a very close team um, prior to COVID. Um, even though we were spread across um, different countries, we would meet up regularly. And now we're, we're you know, we, we don't know when we'll see, we'll all be together again. Um, and we now have um, a whole new, you know, half the team are, are new and it's finding new ways to connect and to build that um, sort of team um, trust and, and um, rapport um, whilst we're, we're all virtual and you know, we're still trying to figure that out um, if I'm being absolutely honest but mm. yeah it, it's, it's a hard one and just thinking as, as you look at stepping back more globally at the whole area of leadership and what, what's what have you picked up as, as how COVID has impacted the way people lead now and what you're picking up they might do in the future and the way the use of offices and going back to office do you not go back to the office and how do you lead a virtual team in the future because this was certainly going to go on for a year two three who knows because there isn't it isn't going to be over for a long time yet people think it is and we're not going to go back to anything we're going forward to something but what's what what do you think the impact has been in the way people lead now and and will be in the future yeah, I think that's a great question. I think it, I think everybody's still trying to figure that out. I think leaders are, are still trying to figure that out. But what I do know is, you know, you may have had a way of you. You would have had an understanding. You'd have known your teams before COVID, and you would have known how to motivate them, engage them, and um, support them. That's what I've learned is you. You just need to start from scratch. So none of that is relevant anymore. Um, everybody's in, a, in their own individual um, context and they're all dealing with COVID in very different ways. So, you know, I've talked about my personal situation, but there's other members of, of our team who are you know, living in um, countries far away from their families. They may be living um, on their own and, and potentially be isolated. And there's other, others who are, you know, they have, um, you know, relatives that they need to try and get to see. And I think what we've learned is you have to, take a step back and get to know um, each, you know, each person again in, in this new context and also be mindful that you can't see everything that's going on on Zoom. So you're not picking up on a lot of those um, human cues that you get by having that face-to-face -face interaction. So it's ha giving people probably the benefit of a doubt um, an awful lot more in terms of when they may do something a little bit unexpected and then finding ways to connect with them and, and spending a lot more time you know, trying to connect with them as an individual rather than working through, you know, what, what's the next thing we have to do on this project. But it's, it's we don't have all the answers. Um, that would be my advice. Just really, you know, see everything in, in a, you know, and start from scratch in terms of getting to know the teams. So true. And you and I were talking before about only 2% of us have actually been trained in listening. Uh, and, and listening is the key, particularly when we're on, zoom like this and watching for the micro cues in their eyes and maybe the environment they're in or how's their facial muscles moving but there's those five levels of listening that my friend oscar trimboli talks about um, firstly listening to yourself clearing your mind of all the stuff that's going on for you what's going on for you and have you got a bit of a bias against the person you're listening are you really going to listen to them or you got stuff going on then listening for content in what they're saying listening to the context they're in but the lovely question I particularly like is, is listening for the unsaids. And a great question is, what haven't you told me? 
And that is like the best hack question I've ever come. What haven't you told me? And they just open up on amazing. You go, goodness, I didn't know that at all. What, so listening for the unsaid and finally listening for meaning. What does that really mean? Back to the why. You know, why are you doing what you're doing? You know, I think that's great. Lovely. Top tips from you for leading in a crisis. A couple of top tips leading for in a crisis and during change. So this is, this is one pandemic. We're going to get more pandemics coming and there's going to be more change. There's going to be environmental change. There's going to be food shortage, environmental issues. You know, we're going to have to be ready for a lot. What would be your top tips for leading in a crisis and during change? Yeah, that's a bit of a gloomy picture you've just painted, <laughs> Jonathan. But I think I would probably just reiterate some of the, um, you know, some of the things we've just dis- we've already discussed. So stay calm, focus on the things you can control rather than the things that you can't, and um, you know, start from a blank sheet of paper and, and get to know your teams again and, and um, try and understand, you know, how, how they're responding um, to, to to the crisis and, and the change that's going on around them. Yeah. I think it's so, so key getting to know your team again. And you and I were talking before about life stories and, and how, how powerful it is for a leader to ask the life story of someone. They think they know they've worked with them for maybe 10 years. They do not know them. And, and many leaders don't really get into asking, you know, what's working well in your personal life and your work. This was one of the great, you know, round questions to get a group meaning. Uh, going because people start a session and they're talking the leader all the time but other people don't join until they speak so a great question 30 seconds what's working well in your personal work in your life and just do a round of that um so we're, we're almost uh, towards the end of our, our our conversation but what mistakes have you seen people making during change uh during a crisis this one and other ones that really for us to watch out for for goodness sake don't do that it really didn't work well what couple of mistakes that you see people making that they should try and avoid is don't make the same mistakes I think trying to be very certain about the you know where we're going and you know saying okay things have changed this is what we're going to do you know maybe it's we're going to all work from home now I've seen a lot of companies come out and say this or we're going to switch and and this is going to be our new way of working I think it's every the, nobody knows what's going to happen and I think when you're so absolute in in you know saying this is what we're going to do um it, it makes it harder to, to change out going forward so I think it's better to be transparent and honest and to say sometimes actually we don't have all the answers but here's what we know now and you know based on that this is what we're going to do I mean if I'm going to be really honest we see our government doing this time and time again they're very absolute about this is going to happen and this is not going to happen and then We've seen U-turn after U-turn, and what we see is that the public have just lost, you know, they've lost trust, and 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 it's um it's all falling apart. If I'm being absolutely honest. Yeah, and and I've had some some wisdom from some leaders that exactly as you say, what they've found has been helpful is to be very honest about. I don't know all the answers. This is such a fluid situation, but I'll update you every week, every day, with where we're at now. So bear with me, it will be changeable. We don't know the journey, we can't control it. But I'll give you what certainty I can without being arrogant about it. And they say, this is our vision for the organization, for our team. Set the vision, you can set that. It almost can be timeless, it's a journey, it's not a destination. 
um, but adapt the strategy. And it's almost like people talk about tempo, which is the ability to move fast in that direction and then suddenly change and go that way without losing momentum. So there's a change of direction without losing momentum um, and, and have review points. So this is the decision we're making now, just like you're talking in Spotify, that we tried this, it didn't work. So begin something with the leader being the decision evaluator, but the decision makers as low as you can make them. So they're making decisions down there and then you have a review point to evaluate. Is this still relevant or has the situation changed? In the military, we used to talk about question four. Question four was always, has the situation changed? If it has, how does that affect two up, one level up and my part in their plan? And constantly reviewing that. There's no shame in that, but have a clarity of vision. Does that, does that, fit for you does that make sense yeah absolutely and um that's exactly how uh, you know again our leadership at spotify have led through covid um we've had regular updates on this is what we know now this is how we're preparing for it but there's been no sweeping statements about this is what we're going to do this is how we're changing things going forwards because they're very honest we, we don't know the situation's changing day by day here's what we know and we're going to keep you updated yeah, and, and another leader who was interviewed recently said in the past they used to have three to five year strategies, um, which they sort of try and rigidly stick to. He said, now we have three to five week strategies yeah. with clear vision, but the strategy uh, adapts because, you know, Brexit, whatever it might be, um, COVID, things change so, so quickly. Um, what would you like your legacy to be, Anita? Yeah, I found this a, a really tricky question. Um, I think what I will say is I'm, I'm really passionate about diversity and inclusion, but particularly about inclusion. So I think hiring diverse talent is probably the easiest part. Um, you know, keeping that and diverse talent and helping them create an environment where they can thrive is it. You know, it takes more work and you know, for, for whatever reason, maybe it's because of my Chinese background, because I'm a female, I'm a working mother, I'm a northerner, we were talking about that earlier. There's been times where I've been part of a team, but actually I felt on the outside of that team. And as a result, I'm, I'm really mindful of ensuring that, you know, all the teams that I'm leading, um, I'm creating a, an inclusive environment and putting myself in, in everybody's different shoes to just try and see, you know, how that team dynamic or, you know, whatever it's, if we're making a decision, if we're organizing a social event, if we're, if we're picking a date to hold a meeting, um, just to see how that would, um, you know, how, whether it would work for them. And I guess in terms of my legacy, um, you know, I hope if, you know, by me doing this and, and, you know, making people um, think more about being inclusive, um, if I'm able to, um, drive inclusivity and, and, and to help there, then that would be a, a really happy outcome for me. Very, very sound. And also remember, you're a steward um, and looking after two boys. And that would be your legacy, the, the, the lives they have. You're not responsible for them, but you're taking care for them while they're with you. And my wife, Lee, and I have got four between us. And um, we are very proud to see them launched, as it were. Now they're in their late 20s and uh, with their partners. But, but disasters will happen to them. Problems will uh, fall upon them as they have on us. And it's not the fact you have a problem. It's how you handle it that marks out the successful from the disastrous. So, yeah, I think the other legacy is already your sons. But um, uh, what happens in the lives, only, only fate will know. Um, 
How about your final question, which is uh, what book would, have you read in the past that you fa have found useful? Uh, and why, why did you think it was uh, one that people should have a quick read of? Yes, um, we, we were speaking about this earlier as well. So I think quite early on in my career, I think it was probably when I was at PayPal, um, somebody gave me a book called Who Moved My Cheese by, I think it's Dr. Spencer Johnson. And I rediscovered it a few years ago. And for those who are not familiar with the story, so it's a really short story, but it's essentially about two humans and two mice and that they live in a maze. And um, in that maze, their purpose in life is to find their cheese. And cheese is a metaphor for whatever you know, makes them happy in life. And they find that cheese, but then that cheese suddenly disappears one day. And it's really about um, how they each respond differently to, to, to that, um, to the disappearance of their cheese. And, you know, the, the moral of the story being change is inevitable and not to be afraid of it when it happens. Um, we're, we're also talking about, there was a particularly, um, you know, um, turbulent year at Barclays um, when I was there I think we lost three levels of leadership in this, a very short space of time and at Christmas of that year I bought each member of my then team a, um, a copy of this book and actually I connected with one of them again recently and he mentioned to me that he still picks it up from time to time and it helps him you know put the you know the current situation into context. Well, look, thank you. And um, Leila and Philip have both said you were an inspiring leader. You certainly have been. I've taken such a lot and you've triggered in me other thoughts about uh, advice I've had over the years. So you've got some great wisdom experience. Thank you. Uh, it's been a real pleasure having, having you on the series. Thanks, Jonathan. So now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you going to do next? If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, Get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you.